Before we come to Prime Minister's questions, I'd like to point out that live subtitles on the British Sign Language Interpretation Proceedings are available to watch on permanentlive.tv. We start with questions to Prime Minister Jess Phillips. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Question number one. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, since I was at this dispatch box a week ago, the Government has been delivering for the British people. At the UK-France summit, we signed a new illegal immigration deal to protect our borders. Over the weekend, we facilitated the sale of Silicon Valley Bank at no cost to the taxpayer. And we have launched a submarine partnership with Australia and the US, launched our integrated review and boosted our defence budget. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I have worked for years with women brought here illegally as sex slaves, raped by 30 men a day. Last week, the Prime Minister tweeted that these victims would be denied access to support from our modern slavery system, a tweet that traffickers will hold up to these women and say, see, no one will help you. Before the Prime Minister parrots his prepared answer about increases in the number of people accessing our modern slavery system, let me educate him and everyone else in this House that the biggest increase in the last 10 years has been from the huge increase in British adults and children trafficked for sex and crime within Britain, not a number they should be proud of. How exactly will I help the next woman I meet brought here illegally from being repeatedly raped if she, as he tweeted, is denied access from our modern slaves? Mr. Mr. Speaker, just to correct the Honourable Lady, it is actually now a minority of people in our modern slavery referral system that are from the UK. That was not the intention of the legislation when it was introduced. We have a proud record of supporting victims of modern slavery. Thousands of victims are supported every year here in the UK, and that will not change as we grip illegal immigration. said that in recent decades there has been the immigration to this country has been too high and all the benches opposite howled their disapproval. They want higher immigration, not lower. Does my honourable friend agree that what we need to do is rather than importing cheap foreign labour, we need to invest in the skills of our own young people and encourage businesses to do well, Mr Speaker, my honourable friend is right that we do need to encourage long-term investment in the domestic workforce. We will hear more from this in the Chancellor later this afternoon, but the Department for Work and Pensions is directing support at sectors with labour shortages like construction and social care, and our new skills boot camps are part of a dramatic rebooting of our skills system to support workers to get the skills that they need. And now comes the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Uh, Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Last summer, the Prime Minister claimed he wanted to protect free speech and put a stop to no platforming. So how concerned was he by last week's campaign by Tory MPs to cancel a broadcaster? (laughs) 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 (laughs)
Mr. Speaker, as I said, as I said at the time. The issues between Gary Lineker and the BBC were for them to resolve, and I'm very glad. I'm very, I'm very glad that they did, and we can look forward to watching Match of the Day again on our screens. Keir Starmer, Mr. S- Mr. Speaker, the, the, the sight of them howling with rage over a tweet, signing green ink letters in their dozens, <laughs> desperately trying to cancel a football highlight show—that should have been laughable. Instead, it led to a farcical weekend, with the national broadcaster being accused of dancing to the government's tune by its own employees. Rather than blame everyone else, why doesn't he take some responsibility, stand up to his snowflake MPs waging war on free speech? Mr Speaker, I, uh, Mr. Speaker, just the usual, usual political opportunism from the leader of the Labour Party. Because I don't, I don't know if he noticed. I don't know if he noticed. But actually, first the Shadow Attorney General and then the Shadow Home Secretary actually criticised the language that had been used in the tweet. But what a, but what a surprise! But what a surprise! What a surprise. He saw the chance to jump on a political bandwagon and changed his mind. So, Mr Speaker, do I... I'm not being funny. I think our constituents want to get to the budget. The more that you showed, the more you progressed questions. So, please, my constituents interested if yours are. Kirstarmer. Mr Speaker, they want more of a Prime Minister who doesn't understand. You can disagree with what somebody says, but still defend their right to say it. We're in a real problem. Does he accept that people's concerns about the BBC have been made worse because the government chose to put a Tory donor with no broadcasting experience in charge of the BBC? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, as, as he well knows, the BBC chairman was appointed before I became Prime Minister. He was appointed... He was... He was appointed... And the same applies to this side. This budget matters to the people of this country. They want to hear it. Don't keep questions going longer than need be. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, there was a rigorous, independent and long-established process. That, that, that appointment was supported by expert panel members as well as the cross-party as well as DCMS Select Committee. Now, that, it's right, that process, that process is being... That process is being independently reviewed by the Office for Commissioner of Public Appointments, and we should allow that review to conclude. Dear Starmer. Mr Speaker, the problem is the chair of the BBC isn't just any old Tory donor. He's so close to the Prime Minister. Order. Mr Fabricant, I want you to be in for the budget. Cup of teas don't want to come that early. Mr Speaker, he's no ordinary Tory donor. He's so close to the Prime Minister, he's been described as his mentor. He helped arrange an £800,000 credit line for the former Prime Minister. A minor detail, he forgot to tell the Select Committee, which scrutinised his appointment. Does the Prime Minister think that his friend's position is still tenable? Well, Mr Speaker, as I've just said... The, office for Indo- the independent office for Commissioner of Public Appointments is reviewing what was a rigorous independent process to appoint the chairman. Instead of prejudging, 
and pre-empting that review, we should let it conclude and wait for the outcome. That is the right way to do things, and that's what the government will do. Mr Speaker, when people with links to the Tory party somehow find themselves in senior positions at the BBC, it's important that their impartiality is seen to be beyond reproach. So has the Prime Minister received assurances that no one with links to the Tory party was lobbied by Tory MPs or involved in the decision that saw Match of the Day effectively cancelled? As I said, these, these are matters. These are matters for the BBC to resolve. And it's right. It's right that the BBC, as an important institution, takes its obligations to impartiality seriously. Right? I, I care about the integrity and impartiality of our institutions, the BBC, but also the civil service, Mr Speaker. And it's right that those processes carry on properly. But what I would say to him, what I would say to him on this matter, there, there is an independent review. It's right that that process concludes, and he would, I would hope, respect that process. He comes here today with these mealy-mouthed platitudes, pretending the actions of his party are nothing to do with him. But the whole country saw how he kept quiet and hid behind the playground bullies while they tried to drive someone out simply for disagreeing with them. An impartial public broadcaster, free of government interference, is a crucial pillar in our country. But isn't that put at risk by the cancel culture addicts on his benches, the BBC leadership that caves into their demands, and a Prime Minister too weak to do anything about them? Mr Speaker, we're not going to take any lectures on cancel culture from the party opposite. You know, but we know, well, we know what this is about, and he's avoided it in six questions. Actually, the substance of the issue that this underlied this tweet. And that's what has he done in this past week. The only thing he and his party have done is voted against our bill to stop the boats, Mr Speaker. Siding with people smugglers over the British people. That's the substance of what's happened. Instead, what have we done is conclude a new migration deal with France, Mr Speaker. We've managed to sign a new defence partnership with our allies, the US and Australia. We've protected British start-ups and we have boosted defence spending. And that, Mr Speaker, is what delivering for Britain looks like. Can I just say to you, the biggest day in the House, and you want to carry on cheering, I'll tell you what, my cons- No, I'll be quite- Because there is plenty of rumours I've mentioned in the tea room for all sides. So let me say, Angela Richardson wants to get on with the questions. Angela. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, For decades, Surrey Research Park in Guildford has been home to our pioneering space sector, with Surrey Satellite Technology Limited and now Surrey Space Centre Spacecraft Project, which recently received £300,000 to train and recruit dedicated space engineers and create facilities to trial space-related technology. Will my right honourable friend join with me in welcoming this investment? And when his diary allows, will he come and visit Guildford to celebrate successful local innovation and job creation? 
Well, I, am, uh, I can reassure my honourable friend that we are continuing to invest in the UK's thriving space sector, including in her constituency, a new £6.5 million scheme to support high-impact uh, projects. Space South Central, as she knows, is already the leading regional space cluster in the UK. There's more investment coming, and I look forward to either visiting myself or the Minister of State for Science, Innovation and Technology to make sure that her companies get the recognition they deserve. SNP leader Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, on Monday, as households in Scotland were awakening to freezing temperatures, they were met with the news that the electricity grid had been upgraded in order to meet the power demands of the Prime Minister's new swimming pool. So may I ask him, was it whilst he was taking a leisurely dip that he decided to leave households drowning in their energy bills? Mr Speaker, thanks to the actions of this Government, what we have provided is over £1,300 to help families with their energy bills over the last year. Now, I won't want to preempt what the Chancellor is going to say later, but this is a government that is committed to continuing to help people with the cost of living, and that's what you'll hear later on. Stephen Flynn. You've got to wonder what planet he's on, Mr. Speaker, because for households in Scotland, energy prices haven't been frozen at two and a half grand. Indeed, the average bill in Scotland has been closer to £3,500, a near tripling in just under two years. But worse than that, the Chancellor is about to get to his feet and announce that the £400 energy rebate is about to be scrapped for everyone, not just in Scotland, but right across these aisles. So is it not the case that the Tories aren't freezing energy bills, they're looking to freeze households? Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, actually, the Government is delivering for people across the United Kingdom. Energy bills have been our priority, which is why over £1,000 of support, which is benefiting households in every part of our country. But he talks about delivery. It's now clear that we know because of the SNP that the trains don't run on time. The police, the police, the police are, the police are at breaking point. The police are at breaking point. And the NHS in Scotland experienced the longest ever waiting list. Mr Speaker, that isn't, that isn't even my assessment. That's what we learned in the SNP's leadership debate last week. Thank, thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, independent retailers are the lifeblood of our high streets and critical to the regeneration of our town centres, so we should cherish and celebrate the entrepreneurs who set them up and run them. With that in mind, would the Prime Minister join me in congratulating the winners of my recent competition to find Newcastle's best-loved independent shops and market stalls, namely Tony Price Quality Butchers, Majulis, Cheeky Cheesecakes and the overall winner, Anasma Greek Bakery, who only opened in January 2021 and are already expanding to a second site. Well, I agree with my honourable friend about the incredible benefit that small businesses and independent retailers bring to our high streets and our economy. I congratulate the team at Anasma Greek Bakery for winning the competition, and I know that they will feel reassured by their government's investment in his constituency through the town's deal that they have and, of course, funding from the Future High Streets Fund. Stephen Furry. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Just ahead of St Patrick's Day, can I thank the Prime Minister for his recent deep engagement with Northern Ireland, in particular the conclusion of the Windsor Framework, and hopefully we will see the Executive restored uh, shortly. However, that Executive is facing a spiral of, of budget cuts, which will stop it from transforming public services on an invest-to-save basis and investing in a prosperity agenda. So will the Prime Minister and indeed the Chancellor work with the Northern Ireland parties 
on a financial package in order to transform Northern Ireland, accepting the need for strict conditions and a real focus on key areas such as health, education, skills and infrastructure. Well, can I thank uh, the honourable gentleman and his, his colleagues and his party for the engagement they had uh, in the run-up to the Windsor framework. It was helpful, and I appreciated his constructive involvement. And my right honourable friend, the Northern Ireland Secretary, has been working closely and will work closely with all Northern Irish parties, leading discussions on a wide range of issues, including the public finances, because I believe what the honourable gentleman believes is that the people of Northern Ireland need and deserve effective, accountable devolved government up and running as quickly as possible, and I hope that those talks can be constructive in leaving that aim. Bob Blackman. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In 2016, the current Mayor of London promised zero strikes on London Underground. Today is the 135th day of strikes since then. Will my right honourable friend join with me in condemning those strikes that have brought misery to the travelling public in London and also condemn the Mayor of London for his failure to address this. Mr Speaker, my uh, my honourable friend is absolutely right uh, about the misery being inflicted on Londoners uh, by the incompetent running of TfL. It's worth bearing in mind, not only do the party opposite vote against our minimum service levels, which will provide respite for the hard-working British public, that the Mayor of London, since the pandemic, has received £6 billion of additional funding for transport services. So for us to be in the situation that we are find ourselves in today is simply unacceptable. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, An investigation reported in The Guardian and the BBC revealed that in the last year, on more than 450 instances, sewage was leaking into cancer wards, maternity units and A&E departments. Without urgent action, the legacy of this Conservative government on the NHS will be an image of a nurse cleaning up sewage around a patient in a crumbling hospital. Will the Prime Minister commit to that pledge of building 40 hospitals by 2030, including in West Hertfordshire, and will he establish a fund to repair those hospitals that are in a dire state of disrepair? Mr Speaker, we are investing record sums in NHS capital to upgrade dozens of hospitals across the country, but in particular to build 40 new hospitals, and we are committed in particular to a new hospital scheme at West Hertfordshire Hospital NHS Trust as part of that programme, and the programme is working closely with the Trust on their plans in lines with the approach that we have taken nationally. Mark Plitchard. Speaker. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that agritech is a vital part of the UK economy, and in particular the excellent work of the Crop and Environment Research Centre at Harper Adams University in Shropshire? I know he has a busy schedule, but could he dispatch the Secretary of State to come and look at that (laughs) research centre, and in particular the women leading science and maths at Harper Adams and indeed leading the world? Well, Mr Speaker, I agree with my uh, honourable friend, and in particular Harper Adams is a fantastic example of the type of innovation uh, and skills provision that we need in our agri-tech sector, and that's why I'm pleased post-Brexit that we can introduce the gene editing bill, Mr Speaker, which will help drive productivity and efficiency in our agricultural sector even further. The government promised the 40 new hospitals three years ago, and the Prime Minister has just uh, expressed his intention 
to proceed again. Two years ago, in St Mary's Paddington Hospital serving my constituency, a ward ceiling fell in during floods, the eye hospital was closed by a fire and the birth centre of maternity wards were threatened by structural problems. This week, trust managers said the infrastructure is having an increasing impact on staff and patients. We just can't afford to continue to waste money on failing buildings. But the hospital is waiting for the commitment from the government for the funding under the new hospitals programme. Will today be the day that the Prime Minister commits to that specifically? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Mr Speaker, as I said in my previous answer, the government is committed to the new hospitals programme. We've committed record sums to NHS Capital, not just for that programme, but for smaller scale upgrades across the country and those conversations with her trust and others are happening in the same way across the country and I look forward to those conversations continuing. Nikki Aitken. Mr Speaker, governments at all level, national and local, should always strive to, de to deliver value for money for the taxpayer, yeah, 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 yeah. particularly in a cost of living crisis. Therefore, does the Prime Minister share my astonishment that my local Labour-led <coughs> Westminster Council voted last week to raise council tax by 2%, housing tenant, council tenants' rents by 7% and increase allowances for its senior councillors by up to a staggering 45%. You've got to answer. Well, Mr. Can I just say, Prime Minister, I don't know who's giving you the advice, but take it from the chair. Please answer. Mr. Speaker, it is disappointing to see that I think it's been just under a year that the now Labour-run Westminster Council has put its own councillors' pay ahead of everything else. I, ca I can't quite believe the figures that we heard from our honourable friend. A staggering, an eye-watering 45% pay increase when people across our country and indeed the ward are suffering cost-of-living pressures. It's clear, Mr Speaker, that it's only Conservative-run councils that deliver for their residents. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, every child in the UK is entitled to free NHS dental treatment, but with 80% of practices not accepting children as new patients, is the Prime Minister proud of his record on our children's dental health? Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Speaker, we're investing £3 billion in NHS dentistry, and because of the reforms to the contract, there will be about 10% more activity this year above contracted levels. There are 500 more dentists in the NHS today, but also, I think, almost a 45% increase in the amount of dental care being provided to children. Eric Thomas. Mr Speaker, five years ago, £40 million of public funds were set aside for brain tumour research, but recent government figures suggest that a little as a quarter of that money has been deployed to researchers. The mechanism to distribute research funding effectively is broken. As a result, the brain tumour community has not seen the breakthroughs in treatment and survival rates that many of us believe they should have. Does my, Prime, does my friend the Prime Minister agree with me that a unique, complex disease needs a unique response? And in what is Brain Tumour Awareness Month, will he make brain cancer a critical research priority across all cancers? Can I thank my honourable friend for his thoughtful and powerful question? He's absolutely right about the importance of medical research being expedited so we can deliver better care for the people who are affected. I'll make sure that he gets a meeting with the relevant minister so we can ensure that that funding gets out to the people who need it and we can and bring relief to them as quickly as we can. Joanna Chuck. Yeah, thank yeah. you, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Uh, with the encouragement of the British government, 
female prosecutors and female judges in Afghanistan stood up for the rule of law and for a more inclusive and equal nation. Those left behind are in mortal danger. Last year, I met with senior officials at the Foreign Office who were open to making a specific case for at least some of these women to be relocated to the United Kingdom, but nothing has happened since then. This dire situation requires a prime ministerial intervention. So I'm not asking to meet the prime minister's officials or his ministers. I'm asking him directly, will he meet with me to see what we can do for these women? Prime Minister. I'm very happy to meet with the uh, Honourable Lady, and she will know that we take our obligations to those who helped and served in Afghanistan extremely seriously, both through the Arab scheme and the ACRS scheme. We have already brought 20,000 refugees from Afghanistan to the UK. We've worked closely with the UNHCR and others on those legal routes, but I'd be happy to meet with her to ensure that we're targeting our compassion, our generosity on the people who most need it and not those who are coming here illegally. Caroline Nelson. Speaker, at the height of the pandemic, centre-assessed grades allowed our young people to move forward with their lives. Lara my very brave young constituent, is now battling cancer and will not sit the GCSE exams she has worked so hard for and could be left with only a certificate of recognition. In exceptional circumstances such as these, why can't the same principle apply? Would my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, look compassionately at this situation? I'm going to start by sending my best wishes to Lara and thanking my honourable friend for raising her case uh, in, in Parliament. Of course, it's incredibly upsetting and challenging for children and young people to be diagnosed with a serious illness, and especially so close to their exams. Now, there are um, allowances that are made, and in the first instance, students will speak to their school or their college to make those reasonable adjustments, but I'll be happy to make sure that we work with my honourable friend to find a resolution in Lara's case. Dr. Mr. Speaker, I welcome the PM's numeracy drive, but did he know that some 7.1 million adults in England are functionally illiterate? It's often diagnosed late in life, like with TV's Jay Blades, if at all. So, would he thank the entirely voluntary Read Easy, who are turning this round at just £250 cost per new reader? and commit to a national strategy for eradicating this problem that's costing our economy 25 billion a year in lost competitiveness. Uh, well, Mr Speaker, I agree with the Honourable Lady. Literacy and numeracy are critical uh, for adults to be able to participate, both in society and the economy. I'm happy to praise Read Easy for the work that they do. I look forward to learning more about them. But the best way to solve this problem is to ensure that our young children get the, the reading skills and training and education that they need. And I'm so pleased that because of the reforms introduced by this previous, or previous Conservative governments, particularly with phonics, we have now marched up the international league table and have some of the best results for reading that we've seen in a very long time. Richard Fuller. Thank you, Mr Speaker. More than a quarter of the economic output of this country is in sectors overseen by some of our major regulators, such as Ofwad and Ofgem. But historically, there's been very little in the way of oversight to say whether they're doing a good job or a bad job, whether they're achieving international best practice or not. 
So can the Prime Minister look to see what he can do to address this historical oversight and enable regulators to play their part in ensuring economic growth? Mr Speaker, as always, my honourable friend makes a a very thoughtful point, and he's absolutely right about the importance of our regulators in driving growth, competitive investment in our economy. I know the Chancellor will have something to say on this later on, but he should rest assured that we will keep at it to make sure that there is accountability and oversight of our regulators. We all want to see more growth in our economy, and they need to play their part in delivering it. Red Stringer. Mr Speaker, 20 years after defeat in the Second World War, uh, the first Japanese bullet train travelled <coughs> the 300 miles from Tokyo to Osaka at 200 miles an hour. Isn't it a measure of the government's incompetence, yes. lack of commitment to the regions, uh, lack of commitment to infrastructure, that it is now expected that 24 years after a Conservative Transport Secretary announced that HS2 would happen, that Birmingham, Manchester and London will not be linked by that time. Mr Mr. Speaker, we're actually delivering the biggest (laughs) rail investment. The biggest biggest rail investment, the biggest rail investment since the Victorian era. And I'll just gently point out to the honourable gentleman. Compared to when Labour uh, were last in office, the investment, the investment going into the north is 30% higher every single year under this Conservative government. We are delivering for communities across the north with more trains, more buses, more stations and more roads, because a Conservative government doesn't just talk about it, it gets on and delivers it. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I hope very much that later today we'll hear news of help for motorists and small businesses. But for motorists and small businesses in Bromley and the rest of outer London, they're going to be hard hit later this year by the Mayor of London's yeah. stealth tax in the form of an optional emission charge yeah. Yeah. cost, money and jobs. Isn't it time to revisit the Local Government Act and, re- and revise it so that such charges can only be imposed on London boroughs with the consent of the boroughs themselves? Yeah. Well, Mr. Mr. Speaker, my honourable friend makes an excellent point, and it's right that the, uh, the Mayor of London should listen to the voices of commuters, of families and of small businesses as he inflicts his damaging tax on them. This government will always be on the side of those people, and this budget will deliver for them too. And completes Prime Minister's questions.